The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to a delayed emergency Low Post podcast because it's 10 in the morning and an emergency really would have been an instant reaction last night to James Harden's masterpiece. But then there was another game to watch and Chris Paul got injured in that game and the Suns are down 2-0 and the Nuggets are on. So there's a lot to talk about but one reason we got to do this tim bontemps how are you first of all i'm doing pretty great zach that was a, a hell of a game one in boston last night on a lot of fronts led by led by james harden having his greatest ever playoff game in my opinion so i have spent way too much time in my life watching james harden crunch time fourth quarters in the playoffs parsing data and video on james harden's playoff resume um, looking at all his clutch shots, all his close fourth quarters, discovering that a lot of his best games, like his previous career high in the playoffs, were when they were down 3-0 to the Warriors in 2015, and the stakes weren't like super duper, ama- uh, super duper high. And I've said many times, like, what's the capital M moment of James Harden's career? And I think before last night, it was probably his shot to ice game five against the Spurs in 2012. Easily. 11 years ago. Easily. And then he had the block on Lou Dort in the bubble to clinch. Really was a uh, harder than it should have been first-round series. Last night is the greatest playoff moment of James Harden's career, I think. And the greatest game in the postseason, I think, of James Harden's career. We could argue it. I haven't done the full-on, like, deep, deep, deep dive. There's, there's, no, there's no argument for me. 17 I, I of away. 30. 7 of 14 on threes, 45 points, 6 assists, 3 turnovers, a game-winning three with 8.4 seconds left with Boston up by one. And by the way, no Joel Embiid. Just sub subtitle on that one, sub-note on that one. Um, and there is a universe in which, let's just say like a worst-case universe, where like Embiid can't play this series and the Celtics win the next four games because the Celtics should win this series if Joel Embiid can't play. Like last night, they should have won. Really bad loss for them. We'll talk mm-hmm. about all the gaffes and breakdowns that led to that loss. Mm-hmm. Even if that were to happen, that does not erase ever what James Harden did in game one. It does not make it less of a capital end moment. It does not make it less of a masterpiece. It does not make it less important, even if that worst case scenario happens because for them to win that game on the road without Joel Embiid, all year long, you and I have been saying, maybe, I don't know how strongly you've been saying it, that this team has all the ingredients to win the title. They have everything Absolutely. they need. When, when they got Tucker, when they got Melton, who was outstanding last night because Boston just kept leaving him wide open from three for absolutely no reason over and over and over again. <laughs> you think I he might help Memphis, by the way, Zach? The Anthony what, I'm done with Memphis. <laughs> I'm done with Memphis. I think someone guaranteed that they would win game seven against the Lakers uh, yesterday. I th- I'm not sure about that. I have to corroborate that. I think somebody on the Grizzlies guaranteed either game seven or, if necessary, game eight, they That's would right. win. Um <laughs> So bye bye Memphis. I'll see you next year. Future's still bright. Nothing, nothing wrong really there. Just, a, just, just stop talking. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, um, for them to win, they, they have all the ingredients necessary to win the title. I've said it all year, and all year I've said their biggest, their biggest two obstacles are number one. It looks like they're going to have to go through Boston and Milwaukee on the road. Well, half of that is now gone. 
And the other half of that is now semi-gone because they have home court advantage in the series now after winning game one on the road. And the other one was, do I trust James Harden in a big, big game? I've seen too many too many two of 11, eight turnover, bleh, fests in the biggest, yep. biggest games. And I said all year, I don't need Houston James Harden anymore. I All Philly needs if Embiid is healthy is good James Harden. 28 and eight, occasionally 27, eight and eight. Last night, they got Houston James Harden, mid-range James Harden, step-back three James Harden, one blow-by of Jalen Brown late in the game where it was like, oh, there's there's Houston James Harden. An absolute masterpiece. And as Perk says, after being very critical of him and his crunch time record in the biggest, biggest games, it is time to give him his flowers. That was a masterpiece last night. Complete gut punch of the Celtics. I guess after this is the day after a gut punch loss for the Bruins. I don't really follow hockey, but apparently that's a disaster. Um, yes. That's like the seventy-three win Warriors losing like in the, the first box. round. Ooh, um, what just just what was it like to be there? And we'll get to the Celtics side of it in a second. But what was the mood around the Sixers after? Like this is found money for them to win this game without Embiid. Oh, uh, they were joyous after the game. I mean, they they the this was beyond a dream scenario for Philly. And and yeah, look, I I've been a, I've been fortunate to be at a lot of significant playoff games over the past decade that I've been covering the league. And I, there are a few games that are more memorable to me than game 6 of the Western Conference semifinals in 2017 when Kawhi Leonard didn't play. The game's in Houston. I remember seeing R.C. Buford and our colleague now, Kurt Goldsberry, a few minutes before the start of the game. Those guys were just really mad. Kawhi was Tony hurt, Tony Parker playing. also also didn't play. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I just remember Kawhi not playing. Um, and they're like, well, you know, we got to go back to uh, San Antonio for game seven, which was this was a Thursday. That game was going to be Sunday. I called my girlfriend, now wife, and said, ah, you know, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to stay in Texas for another four days they're definitely going to lose this game. And then at the end of the first quarter, I think it was 42 to 10 San Antonio and the Rockets oh just got God. absolutely demolished. And that game will always be in my head. And that to, that game for me was the moment I always thought of with James Harden in the playoffs. We're like with for the whole run in Houston, you know, that game in the, the, the game, the following year and game seven in the conference finals and they missed 27 straight threes. Like the Rockets would get close and then they wouldn't get over the hump for one reason or the other. And watching last night, no Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris were okay, but not great. Um, you know, this was really James Harden picking the picking the Sixers up and carrying them over the finish line. And I had a story yesterday that ran that led with some quotes from James Harden after game four against Brooklyn, where he talked about coming into the season, his whole mindset was about sacrificing. He sacrificed money, to get P.J. Tucker and Daniel House on the team. He's sacrificed role and shots because he's it's Joel Embiid's team and he's doing facilitating and he's sort of playing the role they need him to play. But it was fascinating hearing him talk about that because he felt like he could still do the James Harden things. And he might not be able to do it every game. It certainly helped, I think, that he had a nine-day layoff before the start of this series and he had all the juice in his legs and looked amazing. But at the end of the day... The Philadelphia 76ers to win the championship needed to win this game, this game one, and get themselves back home court yep. advantage and also potentially and most importantly, give themselves the ability to, if they need to, give Joel Embiid until Friday. They just to come bought back in game three. 
and they just bought three days for him. And the team felt so good about that win, not only because they got a win on the road, but even, you know, seeing Embiid celebrate, like you could see how important that game was to that team. And to your point, if you think about James Harden in the playoffs now, like I might think about 2018 game seven, I might think about 2017 game six. I'm going to think about that performance last night. And in particular, that step back three over Al Horford Ooh. with eight seconds to go where he, I was, I was saying, I was sitting with Brian Winhurst, our, our buddy. And I was saying, I, he's taken a long time down one. I would think he should go a little sooner, but he was eyeing up Al Horford. He said after the game, he didn't get the double team. He thought would come. And once he got it one-on-one, you could tell he was just eyeing up to get exactly that step back to his right that he's taken and made a billion times. And when that thing went in, I was like, holy cow, I can't believe that just happened. We didn't even get yet to the story Brad wrote about this Tyrese Maxey steal, which is one oh, of we'll the get wildest plays we'll get there. I've ever seen. We'll get there. Um, Harden hunted down Al Horford and got the shot he wanted in both teams in the second half of the game and even earlier for Boston in the first quarter when their pick-and-roll defense kind of broke down on both Harden and Maxi. Just weird breakdowns for Boston, going under screens when they shouldn't, getting hit by screens when they shouldn't. Um, they put Al Horford on P.J. Tucker said, okay, if you're going to put our big guy in a pick-and-roll and we want him to drop him back, we're, we're making you use P.J. Tucker. And the Sixers did the same thing with Paul Reed. They put Paul Reed on Marcus Smart and it kind of threw the Celtics for a little bit of a loop. Um absolute masterpiece from James Harden and they bought time just like you said they bought time although I I do think you got to be a little careful with that just like just like I don't know what went into Milwaukee's oh, decision I don't mean to sit, I don't mean sit. that they necessarily I don't mean that they necessarily just don't play him in game two now I know but. I know you didn't mean that I'm just saying it's it's the kind of thing where like you might be tempted just like the heat might be tempted you know game two of that series is gonna be tonight we're not gonna talk much about it yeah. um to rest Jimmy Butler saying we got, we banked a win it, you know, Oh, he's 90%, but we banked a win, whatever the percentage is where the guy feels comfortable playing. These are high, high level teams. It's, it's, you gotta be a little careful with the buying time thing, but just an unbelievable performance by the Sixers. And look, um, we're going to talk about the Celtics offense and how it can be a little hit or miss. They lost this game on defense. Even in the fourth quarter, their offensive rating was 122 points for 100 possessions. That that would have been last in the league by 10 miles. Um, they just got torched on defense. Some of it was great shot making. Some of it was just kind of just Boston. I, I said after game five of the Atlanta series, I don't like how they're closing this series. I didn't like the last three games of that series, and I didn't like the first game um, last night of this series. Their defensive rating since game two against the Hawks is 123 points allowed per 100 possessions. Some of that Doesn't is great, great shooting. Some of that is great shooting. They're, the, all the, the Hawks and Sixers combined have shot 43% on threes in those five games or whatever it is. That's, that'll come down. But their defense just hasn't been good enough. We'll talk We'll talk about some of those breakdowns. But well, I do want to get those in. those threes are because they're giving up open threes, too. It's I mean, like you said, well, Anthony Melton just took practice threes five times last night. And there was one where they just like Tatum just wandered away from him when Tyrese Maxey was running a pick and roll and the Celtics had it totally covered. There was, there was um, another where they just, they were, it was like late in the second quarter. I think they were trying to like get cute and switch Robert Williams out of the pick and roll as his guy was coming up. And they just got completely confused about who was supposed to be guarding who. And Melton was like, Oh, nobody's within 20 feet of me. Let me shoot a three. Then there was the other one. I think it was in the fourth quarter. Maybe it was the third quarter, eight thirty-seven in the third quarter. 
when the Sixers set a staggered screen with Paul Reed, and Paul Reed just like walked to the rim, and nobody was on him, and Marcus Smart was like yelling at everyone because it was allegedly everybody else's fault. Paul Reed, like I could have finished that play, maybe. Like he just walked to the rim, nobody was on him, and it's like what? And by and, the way, like, one thing really quick, just because you brought up Paul Reed, he was unbelievable. Two free throws, those two free throws in the last oh, minute of the or, game. He had four free throws in the last minute of the game. All right, we're going to talk. Like I want to break down. I want to break down the last minute forty-five. All right, I, I just, just wa- wanted to make sure that we gave him some credit too, because he, especially with Joel out, he was fantastic, and those free throws. We're, we're going to get to him. We're going to get to him. I just want to go through a couple other Celtics breaks. Sure. Harden gets a baseline out of bounds three in the middle of the third quarter when Marcus Smart just doesn't. All Harden inbounds the ball and goes to the corner, and nobody's on him because Marcus Smart shoots the gap wide open corner three. Yeah, this is like, and they gave up, they gave up baskets like that against the Hawks. Even in closing game five, when their offense was rolling, they gave up two out of bounds, wide open threes on breakdowns. And this is the kind of stuff that's like, what is going on with this team? That was the second best defense in the league was the best defense in the league by a mile last year. And just, just had these games where well, you're like, the same, they did, is this, the same is this a serious are they being serious? Like with some of well, these this, breakdowns, this is the, the to let thing. Paul Reed just walk to the rim is like, what are we doing? Okay, let's go this to is, the end of the game. Ready? Well, this well, real quick. This is the same thing the Celtics did plenty of times last year, and it, they they just have these games so they don't lock in the way they need to. And before we break down the end, I won't even go back to the first quarter. The Sixers were basically not playing defense in the first quarter. The Celtics went 17 for 20. I think they started 15 of 16 from the field. They're getting all sorts of just wide open layups and dunk. like it was insane how bad Philly's defense was. And the the it was a game where they should have been up 36 to 16 after the first quarter with no Joel Embiid. Game should have been over. And instead, it was 36 31 because they let the Sixers get going and stay in the game. And that was just it was the same thing. Like they had a chance to put a hammer lock on that game right from the beginning, and you could see right from the jump that was not going to happen. And they let Philly hang around, and we saw what happened. Hanging around, hanging around. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right, 100, 100 times, times your money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at Prize Picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Just download the app today and use code LOW for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LOW on the Prize Picks app for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks. 
Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Well, here's what happens when you hang around. 111-107 Boston with a minute 45 left in the game. Tatum attacks somebody, either Tobias Harris or Tyrese Maxey. And by the way, Tobias Harris tries he might, has absolutely no shot against Jason Tatum. Like, that's a first-step mismatch, and they just ignore that matchup, like, several times in crunch time. They ignored – they had one possession where Jason Tatum had George Yang on him, and God bless George Yang's good player, great – On the play play we're going to get to, eventually, the Maxey play, I mean, Tatum had five fouled Tyrese Maxey on him, who literally was trying not to guard people and pass the ball to Malcolm Brogdon. There, there was an, I just like some of these possessions are like, what are we doing? There was one where Derek White, now to his credit, he had Tyrese Maxey on him. It was late in the game, up at the top of the arc. And the Celtics run these like pin downs on both sides of the floor with like no urgency. They're walking through them. And Derek White's just right. like, okay, cool. Jason Tatum's being guarded by Tobias Harris. I'm just going to drive wildly into Tyrese Maxey and miss a floater and get strips. Like, what are we doing? Anyway, 111, 107. Tatum attacks, <laughs> yep. hits Brogdon, pump fake from the corner, wide open long two. That's a good shot. Good shot. Misses yep. it. Marcus Smart, crazy offensive rebound. Hits Tatum coming down the lane. Tatum attempts this flailing wild layup. Misses. Fine. It's like crap happens. Those are two. I mean, the layup was out of control, but it's it's a shot. You're trying to get a shot at the rim. That's fine. Yep. That's when Maxi runs out and gets the and one, which they review and uphold as a basket, which I liked. Give give the benefit of the doubt to the offensive player. But Marcus was definitely moving. I, I thought that was a pretty obvious block. And so Philly comes within one. Next possession, Horford gets a wide-open three on another similar kickout. Miss. Great shot. Nothing wrong with that. Jalen Brown yep. tips the rebound to Brogdon. Wide-open three. Miss. Nothing wrong with that. And then they get a Horford layup on another offensive rebound. Boston up three. Yeah, that felt like a real backbreaker in the moment. Those, I think there was five offensive, four or five offensive rebounds on those two possessions. I mean, when they got that Horford layup, it was just like, man, these guys are not going to be able to get any rebounds necessary to close this thing out, even though they got a shot. And then Harden, Paul Reed, pick and roll. Paul Reed gets fouled with 57 seconds left in Boston up three. And as you said, makes both free throws. Just bing, bam, boom. No drama. It no like. The rim. No Perfect bounces, shots. no crazy bounces yep. goes in. And then the pick six happens where Boston <laughs> just kind of wandered around for a little bit. Like you take it, you take it, you take it, you take it. Hey, remember when the Bucks didn't get a shot off at the end of, at the end of the game? Why don't we try that? See if that Another play game works. I was that recently. That was wild. That, see that see was... if that works. And Tyrese yeah. Maxey steals the ball with the shot clock expiring. And it seemed like I couldn't see it because I was watching on TV. It seemed like. Most of the players were confused as to whether the game was going on or not. And Tyrese Maxey was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to dunk it until you well, told me to stop dunking Tyrese, it. Everyone, including Tyrese Maxey, was confused. Tyrese thought he heard a whistle. He almost stopped. Half his teammates thought they heard a whistle. All of them were screaming at him to keep going. Uh, Doc Rivers thought he was going to pick up his dribble at the free throw line, which would have been interesting. Uh, yeah, that was that was a truly unbelievable play. We were all sitting there on press row. Windhorse thought that they called a shot clock violation. He kept yelling at me that the shot didn't count. I told him, look at the scoreboard, man. It's 114-113 now. And, and uh, the fact that he caught that ball with 0.1 seconds on the shot clock, like you couldn't have literally drawn it up better than to have him catch the ball. Like if he'd caught the ball half a second later, it would have been a shot clock violation. Philly would have had the ball. Their offense was not getting a lot going at that point. Like, 
totally different tenor of the game if they have the ball down one there. Even though Tatum comes back and hits these free throws, like that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen, that play. Every night in the NBA playoffs, I don't think I've ever seen a play quite like that. Like a perfectly timed with the shot clock buzzer steal. Like he could have run 20 more seconds off the hook. He just could have stood under the rim and held the yeah, ball yeah, for 15 yeah, seconds later, until someone went and got him. Anthony Melton was giving him a hard time in the locker room. He was like, man, you should have stood there and just dribbled for a while because nobody was coming down there. And Tyrese, Tyrese just goes, man, I almost stopped once. I was just going to make the layup. I wasn't going to mess around. But, uh, I, yeah, I mean, that I said to a couple of people last night, that's exactly why I do this job. Like, you go to the – I go to a lot of games, and you go to games, and between what happened in Milwaukee in game five last week or that game last night or just, like – you see stuff that you've never seen before all the time, especially in these games, like you said, in April, May, and June when the stakes are highest. And that I I've truly never seen, like you said, anything like that. That was incredible. Then the Celtics call timeout, get Tatum and ISO at the foul line. Good play call makes both free throws, draws a foul, makes both free throws. They go up by one. Harden makes a step back three to put him up by two. Timeout Boston. They appear to run a play for smart in the paint, but it Tatum was also kind of back cutting on the back end of it. And it made me think maybe the play is for Tatum and smart tried to drop it off to Tatum. And it just didn't work out. It didn't work out. And then no. Paul Reed made two more free throws. What, what did Joe Missoula say after did people ask him about that play? Uh, to be honest, I was in the Philly side. Let me see quick right here. If you want to vamp for a second, I can find. I mean, I don't really. It doesn't really matter to me. It was well, like you can, d- d- these plays are hard to draw up. And like Marcus Smart got the ball in a position with some momentum in the paint. You put the referees in play when you call when you call a play in the paint. You put the referees in play, make them part of the game. Like I didn't. I didn't hate. I didn't hate the play call. Um, Here's, like here, a, here it is. It was it was just a read. It was dependent on the matchup. They switched their matchup, and so it was just a read. And Smart tried to make a play. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't hate it. And like I said, Boston's offense for all the stuff we're talking about, these possessions they, here and there, where they, it just disintegrated. They lost the game on defense. Yeah, the Celtics did not lose that game on that play in the final second. They didn't lose it on the James Harden step back. They, they didn't lose it even on the Tyrese Maxey pick six. They lost that game in the first quarter. It should have been a twenty point lead. In the first quarter, the crowd is going crazy. There's no Joel Embiid. Like you said, if they come out and put the clamps on Philly off the jump, they go up by 20 points, that game looks totally different. Instead, they let Philly hang around and hang around and get confidence and let Harden get going, and all of a sudden, you're in a dogfight, and you know the Sixers had nothing to lose. Nobody thought they were winning that game. There were 10-point dogs last night. Joel Embiid's not playing. And the longer that thing went on and the longer they could stay in the game, the more they felt like, hey, we can we can actually steal this thing and, and get out in front in this series. And, you know, like I said, you could see in the locker room, everybody was so fired up about that win for all those reasons and then some. But it was uh, it was great. And as a neutral, it makes for a lot more interesting series. So I'm glad. I'm glad from that standpoint that Philly won because now sort of no matter what happens through the rest of the week, we've got a lot of interest and excitement in the series, which is fun. Again, Boston's offense was in the aggregate. Fine. Very good. I feel like a broken record when I say this about the Celtics, though, because it was what undid them against the Heat last year and the Warriors in the finals. They can get a good shot anytime they want. By putting Tatum or Brown in any kind of two-man action with whoever Maxi mm-hmm. is guarding. 
or just by attacking Tatum, the Tatum Harris matchup one on one. And I get that to be so diligent that you do that every possession, so ruthless is is hard and a lot of teams just don't operate that way. The Celtics are kind of a flow, read and react offense. Like as soon as Duncan Robinson came in the game against the Knicks in game one, it was just immediate. We're doing nothing else. No one else is playing defense except Duncan Rob. Tom Thibodeau is a freaking hammer and Duncan Robinson was the nail and that's <laughs> it. We're not doing anything else. Yeah, I was gonna and say Tibbs is the opposite. All he does all he does is blunt force trauma at whatever the weakness on the other side is. And that's what I feel like Boston needs a little bit more of in their DNA because they just fritter away these possessions when you have favorable matchups and easy ways to get good shots everywhere and it doesn't manifest in bad offensive ratings. Their offense was awesome. It did manifest in sixteen turnovers compared to six for Philly. And I know Jalen Brown has shot the hell out of it in the playoffs. I think he's Hold averaging 20, 26 a game. I was just about to add this. Jalen Brown went six for seven in the first quarter, got whatever he wanted. Was good. They didn't touch the ball for like 30 minutes of the game. He took 10 shots. It was incredible. I will say he's he shot the hell out of it in the playoffs. I think he's shooting 57, 56% overall and like 50-something mm-hmm. on threes, 50-something on twos, just killing it. He does have... 22 assists against 25 turnovers. And like, I know he's got the hand injury that's messing up his handle a little bit, but some of the, when Jalen Brown takes the ball in traffic, and I know some Celtics fans have been in this place of anxiety before now, right. every time he takes the ball into traffic now, I'm like, oh, this is going to end badly. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen now. And like, they get just got to clean this stuff up a little bit. Look, but the they Celtics mostly last to- year, the Celtics last year, the story of their playoffs was turnovers. Whenever they turned the ball over, they lost. Whenever they didn't, they won. It was that simple. And now there's two stats. One is the turnover stat. They had 16 last night. That was the magic number for them last year in the playoffs. The other is three-point shooting. This team is 34-2 and two when they shoot 40% or better from three. I think they're now 27-26 and 26 when they shoot under 40%. Last night, not only did they shoot 38%, they were 10 for 26 from three, and they got outshot by 12 from the three-point line. Um, in terms of attempts by the Sixers, I did not think there would be any game in this series, even potentially with Joel Embiid out, that Philly would shoot more threes than Boston. And obviously, their offense was good, but for a team that really focuses on the math and likes to win the math problem as much as possible, something Joe Missoula harps on all the time, I was very surprised at the lack of threes that the Celtics got up. Well, James Harden got up 14 by himself. Sure hey, get on my Get on my back. And I will carry you to the finish line game. A couple days after Steph Curry literally told his team, according to Marcus Thompson of the Athletic, come with me. Everyone commit to the team. No belly aching. I will bring you home. Read that story in the Athletic about Steph, who's not a big talker, gathering the team together for a speech in which he said, I will take you home. That's legend stuff, man. That's legend stuff. And what James Harden did last night was legend stuff. Don't overlook Tobias Harris's 18 points, 26 from Max. He didn't shoot it great, but was active in the 17 off the bench from Melton. But this Boston defensive stuff is now five or six straight games of like, what are we doing here? And the other thing I wanted to ask you about, like for a team that was the number one team in net rating, the Vegas co-favorite, second favorite, whatever they entered the playoffs in, I've been struck by just they don't know who they want to play in the middle of games and at the end of games. So they're playing this lineup. I really like Brogdon white, the Jays and time Lord. I mm-hmm. like that line. I realized Derek white had a bad game last night after a series of great games. And they're like, Oh, we'll dispense with that. And in comes smart. Who's fine. Whatever played well, 
defensively he hasn't been the same guy this year. In comes Horford, out goes Time Lord. It's like, why do we have to close with that group? Why did Horford and Robert Williams play only two minutes together in in game one? I like that combination. The Blake Griffin minutes in game five against the Hawks were like never explained to me. I, I that was the most inexplicable substitute. Was there an explanation for that? I, I was not covering that series, but I uh I when I turned that game on to catch up with it, uh I wa- watched the fourth quarter and I was like, Blake is in. This is interesting. And it was like and then Blake ten- remained in and remained in and remained in. And I was like, This is very interesting. Well look, and part of that too is Blake was in and Grant Williams was not. And Grant Williams has just not really been part of Joe Mazzulla's rotation. He's played Sam Hauser over did him he, Did he take and somebody's food from the refrigerator or something? Did he do the, like the office faux pas where you take somebody's brown bag sandwich and eat it? Because I don't really get why. And then he, like last night he comes in. He doesn't even have enough time to play badly or well. And they're just like, yeah, we don't. We, we'll, let's bring Hauser and we don't want this guy. I just don't understand. I don't understand that. And the Blake Griffin stuff, I realized it was only one game. But I will tell you, A, they lost the game. B, playing Blake Griffin and Robert Williams together was very weird. And C, on the broadcast, their explanation was, well, they're probably trying to see if Blake can give them anything for next round for like another body to throw at Embiid. And I was like, next round? They got to win this game. What are we talking about next? They're not up by 30. They're up by like 10 and they lost the game. It's just some very puzzling stuff from a coaching staff that I know is smart and really good with a group of players that I know is smart and really good, it just is. It has not been in the the Celtics are four and three in the playoffs, and they just don't look like they're dialed into the degree they need to be dialed into. Yeah, I mean it's it's been interesting. It's been interesting to see that sort of manifest itself over the course of the season. I think you know if you look at last year, obviously under Ime Odoka, they really got on a roll in the second half, playing that big lineup with Robert Williams and Al Horford. You wonder, I mean, they might have. If Robert Williams ever hurts his knee, who knows how the playoffs go? Even though they um, got to the finals and lost, because that I they were winning every game by twenty points for a two month stretch, and then Al or Robert hurt his knee, and they never really quite got back to that same level again. And if you look at the way this year has played out, like you said, Joe Mazzula talks a lot about the math problem and about he really wants to get up more threes than his opponent. He all all that kind of stuff. And I, I think his preference is to lean into playing small with this group more often than not. We've seen him not really, and maybe part of it's Robert Williams has just never quite gotten right after missing the start of the year with the knee injury with the knee surgery and stuff. But they they haven't played the two big lineup much. They've, you know, been starting Derek White, which I think against this Philly team is the right way to go. I think it, when Embiid comes back, when Robert Williams is out there, it's a place for him to hide. Um, a defense he doesn't have to roam around as much as when Al's out on the three-point line. Um, but yeah, like you look at the Grant Williams, Sam Hauser thing. Grant Williams, I I expected him to play more in this series. Maybe when Embiid is back, he'll play more. But you know, Missoula has clearly preferred to have the guy he thinks is the better three-point shooter out there over the course of the year, and Hauser, um, who's a good player and holds up better on defense than people think, and is fine. But I agreed. I I think Grant Williams should be playing more and. You know, that's just sort of been the way they've approached all this stuff. And they are the deepest team in the league, I think. But there are times when you can almost have too much depth, I think. And they do have, you know, do you play Derek White or Marcus Smart? Do you play Grant Williams or Sam Hauser? Do you play Robert Williams and Al Horford? Or do you go small? Like, they they have a lot of ways that they can play. 
and in theory could hold up even in high leverage playoff games with, which a lot of teams don't. And I think because of that, it has led them to sort of be stuck in between sometimes in how they want to play. But mostly this just goes back to the same stuff that happened last year, like you said, against Miami, like you said, against Golden State. This team just does not lock in the way it needs to, and they commit silly turnovers, and they don't, they just don't play the way they need to when it ultimately matters. And that often has put them in binds. And they found a way a lot of times to get out of those binds, like they did when they went to Miami and won game seven um, last they, year. They, but, they won game seven technically. Right. Well, I right. Would but say, even in that I, game, they, they were up 12 or two they, minutes ago and nearly imploded. I would say they almost lost game seven. Well, they did. Um, almost, that's because they did almost lose game seven. I mean, I'm not giving I, them I, a full on dub. That's like half a win. That's like a hockey <laughs> tie when hockey used to have ties. But that, but you know, but that game to, to go back to that game though, right? Like for 46 minutes, they were incredible. They're up 12 on the road in game seven, sort of like what Golden State did against Sacramento, right? Like dominating performance on the road, have everything done. And then everything just like explodes in every possible bad way with two minutes to go. You look at that game last night, even with all the way, even as good as Philly played, they were in prime position to, to, to salt that game away. They're getting all these offensive rebounds. They're getting open shots. And then they make a couple terrible mistakes. And all of a sudden they're looking at a all one hole in the series. And game two is a, is a pressure cooker now, whether Embiid plays or not, because Philly now has some belief that, Hey man, even if we, even if we don't have the big fella, we got ways to finagle, we got ways to finagle a W here, and boy, oh boy, uh, Jeff Van Gundy said it uh, yesterday on on the pod. Like it's right there for Boston if Embiid isn't healthy. Like it's it's right there, and you may never have a better chance to run the table in the East. Not run the table like win every game, but get through the East. Look, whichever this team wins the series, whichever team wins the series, not only is gonna be. Uh, the heavy favorite to win the conference finals. They, these are the teams with the two best records in the league left. They're, whoever wins this series has home court advantage in the NBA finals. Like you talk about winning a championship for either one of these teams, whoever gets out of this series, it's sitting right there, right there. Honestly, Having home court, being there and the Celtics need to take, I mean, both these teams, like now Philly can look at it too. Like for all the years we've talked about Philly, you and I've joked about it, right? Like, you know, thinking they've got a chance to win year after year after year. Well, like, it's sitting right there now. They're up 1-0. You know, in theory, they're going to get Joel back sometime fairly soon. Um, they've got a real shot. They've got a real shot to break through finally and do this. So let's see which one of these teams can do it. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts, 122 million for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Let's flip over to the West. We now have a bunch of days off before Game 3 of Suns Nuggets. In Phoenix, the Nuggets outscore Phoenix 27 to 14 in the fourth quarter to come back and win game two by 10 behind 39 points, 16 rebounds and five assists on also 17 of 30 shooting from Nikola Jokic, who will probably finish second in the MVP, which will be announced tonight. I'm going to preemptively congratulate Joel Embiid because I think he's probably winning. Um, (laughs) And the Suns shot six of 31 from three. They are now 13 of 54 for the series with an offensive rating of 102 points per 100 possessions. That's bad. They also can't figure out who they want to play. It's rotation roulette for them. And it finished with Damian Lee because we just need a lot of shooting at all times. And then went back to Josh Okogie, which we'll talk about. But the headline is Chris Paul hurt uh, came up with some sort of groin strain in the middle of the third quarter when KCP, who was like absolutely out of this world, outworked him for a rebound maybe outworked him is wrong because Chris got hurt on the play and didn't come back to the game and look like when they traded for Kevin Durant and everyone was exuberant about it and I said yeah I guess you got to trade for Kevin Durant but like let's not pretend there's no risk here um this was the obvious risk is that Chris Paul gets hurt almost every playoffs Kevin Durant is coming off an injury himself and hasn't looked comfortable that comfortable in the playoffs. Did not look comfortable last night. Was not involved nearly enough last night. We'll talk about that. And, you know, Chris Paul had eight points last night. It's not like Chris Paul has been a supernova in the playoffs this season, but he was starting to get on a roll against Denver's drop covers. They're dropping on Chris Paul. They are disrespecting Chris Paul, like on purpose. They're saying Booker, Durant, when Durant actually gets the ball and gets to do something with it, we're going to blitz you or come up to touch against you. Chris Paul, you want to walk into 18-footers? Cool. Beat us. Because we have faith in KCP and Bruce Brown and Christian Brown and even Jamal Murray to get over picks against you and bother you from behind and force you to do the thing where you have to snake it and like throw your dribble ahead by eight feet and run and go get it and then take a fade away too. And we don't, we'd rather have you take those shots than anything else those other dudes are doing. But look... Phoenix hasn't played a home game yet. We've learned the lesson many times. Don't overreact to 2-0 when the home team has won the first two games. We just, the Warriors just reminded us again. If they don't have Chris Paul and they're just down to those two guys as shot creators, and Aiton has been just eh, it's an uphill battle for them against a team that is hungry and comfortable and defending. I mean, this is the series. This is the series they got Aaron Gordon for. More or less, they they got him really for like the Clippers two years ago. This is the series they got these guards for. Bruce Brown and KCP got better defensive guards to get over screens and help Jokic. This is the series where all the Jokic skeptics were like, he'll break down against a pull-up jump shooting team. He'll break down. He won't be able to hang. And right now they're hanging. And he's hanging and they're hanging. And they have Phoenix a little out of sorts on offense. But man, do you see, can they win without Chris Paul? No, I didn't think they're going to win the series anyway. And this series, to your point about Denver, this is this is the series where I said coming into the playoffs, there's no there's pre- there's more pressure on Nikola Jokic than any other player 
in this year's playoffs. Because the last couple of years, he won MVP, and he won MVP with teams that had no chance to really advance in the playoffs because of injuries. Jamal, late in the year, the year before. Then Jamal. You know what he thinks of your pressure, Tim Bontemps? You know what he does at your pressure? He takes a sip of Rakia, and he FaceTimes with his horses uh, in Sombor. He didn't look like he handled the pressure potentially winning the third MVP very well the final month of the season when he sort of scattered all over the place. They all just kind of limped to the finish line, but they're not limping now. Please go ahead. Well, no, but like this is the year for Denver to advance, right? The Western Conference was not very good all year. They were the dominant team in the Western Conference all year. They have home court advantage, but they've always been great. Jokic has been a phenomenal again this year. You mentioned they get Aaron Gordon. They get Catavius Caldwell-Pope. They have Bruce Brown, who was an unbelievable addition for them last summer. Perfect fit to play with Jokic. They have the team that should be able to make a run. And if you can't make a run this year against this Western Conference, you're never making a run with Nikola Jokic. And you got to really examine Jamal Murray and those guys. And you really got to examine what do we have here and where are we headed. But through the first seven games of the playoffs, after a little bit of a hiccup uh, at the end of the, the Wolves series, they look great. And look, since the, the moment Phoenix made this trade, uh, we've talked about this on the Who Collective a bunch. My, my pals have been clowning on me because I just keep saying, who else is on this team outside these top four guys? The rest of the roster is just not good, and it's not good enough. Like, you could say you could try Josh Okoji or uh, Tory Craig or, I mean, they're playing Jock Landau, Bismack Biombo in high-level playoff games. Like, they just don't have any depth, which, by the way, is why you don't win titles generally when you make trades for superstar players in February because you don't end up having enough depth on your roster to get over the line at the end of the day. Look. And well, no, I was, and all I was going to say was the way this Suns team is built again in this game last night, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker combined to shoot 56 times and they scored 59 points. I I've said to those guys a bunch. I said it after game one. I'm very happy letting Devin Booker and Kevin Durant shoot as many times as they want to shoot. Not meaning not guard them, but Guard them one-on-one, let those guys shoot, shoot and shoot and shoot. They cannot do this for seven games and beat me. And I'm not letting these other guys on the Suns get practice threes. And if they don't get practice threes, by the way, you know what the rest of those guys were on the Suns last night? They were 0 for 11 from three. Like those guys are not going to be good enough. They were mostly. And I can outscore Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Those 11 threes were mostly practice threes. I mean, that's that's the reality of, of what they were. Well, Those you're going to give up open. some over the course of a game, yeah. but I just don't want to give up 30 of them. I don't think Denver would mind giving up 30 of them. Giving up 30 of them. If Josh Okogie wants to shoot 12 threes, well, now it probably means he's going to make a few. But um, look, I just I don't want to relitigate the trade now because I talked a lot about it when it happened. Um, this was all priced into it. Like you said, it's a mid-season trade, so you don't have time. You don't have an off-season to get a few kind of ring chasers to build out your bench. This is life. And I said at the time, this kind of trade is championship or bust. That's it. Ask the Clippers. And I always think back to what an executive in the Eastern Conference sold me after that Clippers mega deal for Kawhi and PG. It's a trade you have to make, and it could end up being one of the most damaging trades of all time. And it, yep. this made me think of that, which is sacrilegious because it's Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant was 10 of 27 last night. That's just flat out not good enough. He's going to have to make more shots. 
They cannot win a win. game where Devin Booker or Chris or Kevin Durant is not awesome. And that was before Chris Paul got hurt. Now, again, now you're down to those two guys, DeAndre Ayton, and then nobody who's any good. They played 45 minutes for Booker last night and 44 for Durant. I mean, if Paul can't go in game three and they're lucky they got a few days off now, they may have to go like 46 minutes apiece. I mean, you just can't afford any time, even nope. with one of them on the floor. It's 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 going to be hard for them to score. And Ayton is just not going to assert his will on the series. He's been fine. Like, he's just fine. He's not going to be the big four guy that they thought. He certainly I, hasn't been the defensive guy against Jokic he's been in the past either. I talked about this after game one. Start by crediting Denver's defense, which is so on point with its scheme that you have to credit the players for being dialed in, credit the coaching staff for crafting this scheme for this series and drilling it so the players execute it. Because mm-hmm. whether it's Booker or Durant running the two-man game, Jokic has to come up to the level of the screen. That's just the reality. You can't let those guys pull up and shoot. And that means three guys are defending four sons behind the play. And you got to rotate in sync or ahead of the ball. And you got to know when, when if I'm the weak side guy helping in, should I go back to my original guy in the corner or are we going to X out and crisscross and, and hit those rotations like that and I go up to the wing? They're nailing that every time. Jokic is not staying a second too long. If anything, he's leaving like a half second earlier than I expected to, to retreat and take away the pass to Ayton. And when they do get those slip passes to Ayton or Josh Okoge, the Nuggets are making those guys think in open space. They're zoning up perfectly. They're rotating perfectly. They're not giving up. And there was one when they had used Okoge as the screener in the fourth quarter last night, because we'll get to this, but Denver put Jokic on Okoge, and the Suns seemed to be completely unprepared for that, even though it was an adjustment we all knew was going to come before the series. Yeah. And Okoge got the ball in open space. Jamal Murray was was rotating in from the wing. Aaron Gordon, who's been incredible, was rotating up from the dunker spot, and Josh Okoge just froze. He didn't know what to do. Like, do I have, what, what pa- like, oh, that pass isn't there. That pass, should I shoot a floater? Ooh, I don't know if I want to shoot a floater. Let me kick it out to KD. KD missed an open contested three. And some of this is the Suns are just going to make more shots. They're shooting horribly. They're going to have a game where they shoot more well, shots. By the way, by the way, this was the game the Suns had to steal to begin with. Denver is an awesome offensive team, and they didn't hit a shot last night. They were, seven, they were seven for 27 from three. You know, Jamal Murray, you know, came back to earth, was three for 15, 0 for 9 from three. That's the game. If you're the road team, you got to win that game. Like that was the, like Philly last night. Philly had a chance to win a game on the road. Set aside the Embiid thing. You're in a series like this. You got to get that game when it's sitting there for you. Because I'm. It's hard for me to see a scenario where Denver plays that bad on offense. Maybe again the entire series. Almost certainly that they don't play that bad on offense again at home. And that's a tough one to let slip. And again, they have to have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker be amazing every game. They have to. The other thing Denver is doing on defense really well is when Booker gets around that pick and Jokic is with him, they're stringing him out to the sideline and get the one pass they'll give you, quote unquote, is the skip all the way to the corner. Mm-hmm. And Durant will or someone will be lifting up on the wing. Like you don't make get to make that short pass. If you're gonna make a pass, it's gonna be the long one that right. hangs in the air forever and gives us a chance to reset. And they got all their hands are high. So there's sometimes Booker doesn't even make that pass because he's not confident that he can get it through. Right. And when they make it, the rotations are there and they're making Phoenix instead of taking catch and shoot threes, pump, go, dribble, pump, go, dribble. And it ends in an eight and floater, an eight and mid ranger, a Chris Paul floater. Like it doesn't end in the kind of shot 
that Phoenix really wants to get. And that's mostly to their credit. Shout out Calvin Booth, who staked a lot on Bruce Brown. And they closed the game last night with a lineup I talked about in the preseason with Bruce Brown and Michael Porter Jr.'s place because of defense. Drafted Christian Brown, who's been awesome in limited minutes in this series. Got a couple bully one-on-one scores. Um, and Tim yep. Connolly was the one who traded had Aaron for Gordon. Traded for KCP in a deal that I couldn't believe that anyone didn't like it, but some people didn't like it. I was like, KCP is perfect for this team. He's been incredible. 41 minutes last night for KCP. But I'm Bruce Brown. You saw in the first round that the Clippers, a lot of that series, stashed Zubats on Torrey Craig. And the gambit is obvious, right? Like, if you if, if you want to use Aiton as your screener because he's your guy, we're going to switch. We're going to put Kawhi on Aiton and switch. If you want to use – if you want to bring Zubats into the action, we're going to make you use Torrey Craig, right. who's just not as threatening to us. And if Torrey Craig rolls to the rim, guess what? DeAndre Aiton – is also there and the space is all cluttered and it's going to be difficult for him to make plays. We wondered how Denver would manage that in this series because the answer, the question was who's guarding Durant. If you put Jokic on a Kogi or Craig, Aaron Gordon probably has to slide up and take Aiton. Well, who's guarding Durant? Oh my God, we can't do it. The answer last night was Bruce Brown and he did well enough to enable that scheme and the Suns seem totally unprepared. Like, if you see Jokic on a Kogi or Jokic on campaign, and for three straight possessions, Tim Bontemps, you decide, you know what? Let's let's just run Durant, Aiton, pick and rolls, which we know they're going to switch. And they're going to switch Aaron Gordon onto Durant, which is the guy they want guarding him anyway. And we're going to settle for a contested three because we have no continuity in our offense. There's not a second screen coming. There's never a second screen. And if there is, the ball in there has to wait there for five seconds to come. Come on up, Sky. I need something else. And only after like three or four of those possessions as the game was getting away from them did they start to involve a Kogi in the screening action to attack Jokic. I just thought they seemed unprepared for that. And their offense, Durant, Durant ran 14 pick and rolls last night. That's that's average for him. He set seven ball screens. That's not nearly enough. He's just not nope. involved enough in what's going on. And well, maybe you know, he's just, worn out a bit from playing forty five minutes every single game. You know, I mean, this is the this is the thing. I've been. I mean, the other. I mean, look, the unfortunate thing about this Suns team is from the moment they made this trade, there were two obvious facts. Right, one was they just didn't have enough depth. The other is, let's just be honest, these guys get hurt all the time. Like Chris Paul has had an unbelievable career. He's a first battle Hall of Famer, one of the best point cards of all time. But he has a history of getting hurt, especially now that he's in his late 30s. And Kevin Durant, unfortunately, is one of the greatest players of all time, also now has a pretty extensive history of getting hurt. And these guys have been, what were we saying in the first round? They're playing Chris Paul 40 minutes a game. They're playing Devin, Devin Booker 45 minutes a game. They're playing Kevin Durant 45 minutes a game. Like, well for the Suns, right? And like, I'm certainly not wishing for anybody to get hurt, but when you see Chris Paul limp off with a groin injury last night, it, it's just not really a surprise. And it it it's a bummer for them, but it goes back to the same thing, which is that this team just does not have the requisite depth to get through the playoffs, no matter how good their top end talent is. And I also think you saw in the fourth quarter of that game, the other thing I've talked about a bunch, this team has barely played together. 
Like everybody just sort of hand waved away the fact that they only. I, I did. Oh, I, I, you know, I, fine. I, I was guilty of it because I just thought, well, this is Kevin Durant. You just plop him in well, and it and works. And it has. And, and by the way, by the way, they were what twelve and one or thirteen and one before yes, this series, and now they've lost every twice. Game, but basically, every game they played was against a team that was either bad. very bad or very injured. The only game they played against anybody with real players was Dallas in the beginning of March before Durant got hurt. Competitive game went right down to the end. They had a bunch of their other guys hit practice, some practice threes. Ish Wainwright had a big game, Brian's favorite player. And they uh they won that they won that game. Like I would have liked them to play those games against the Lakers or the Clippers the final weekend of the season and just play against some high level teams and just get some experience on the court together. They didn't do that. They took a bunch of time off. Obviously, they got through the first round, but they didn't look great really against the Clippers either with no Kawhi and no Paul George. They kind of limped through that series. And these first two games against Denver have not gone well either. So, and now they don't have Chris Paul. It's just, it's not a, it's it's obviously not a rosy situation. No, the integration of Durant has been much uh, clunkier than I thought it was going to be. Um, all of that said, they could shoot 20 of 40 from three in game three. And everyone's oh, like, Oh, can, can they though? Can they maybe, get yes, these guys? Are you, you, well, I don't know. 40, but you know what I mean? They could shoot, they could have a game where they shoot 60% on long twos sure. and it, and we're, sure. and we're, we're, we're back to, okay, well, the home team hasn't, they're hasn't lost swept. Yeah. I don't think they're getting swept, but I just, you look at Denver and you look at like, you just talked about it, right? Guys like Christian Braun, guys like Bruce Brown, guy, Jeff Green, right? Like they've got guys, they've got a solid eight guys where you go into the game and like when when Michael Malone is interchanging guys, not only do they have eight guys that they feel comfortable playing, those guys know exactly what they're doing at every second of the game, right? They've played together now, most of them for years. They're the Jokic and Murray have unbelievable chemistry, obviously, in the pick and roll. Aaron Gordon's been there a while now. Michael Porter's been there a while now. Like that's a team that knows exactly who it is and what it wants to do in every situation. To go back to our Boston conversation, where they often seem like kind of caught between styles and, and lineups and stuff. Denver knows exactly what it wants to be. And Phoenix, quite understandably, because they've been together for three seconds, just doesn't feel like that. And I I thought that was going to catch up with them at some point, and it seems like it might in this series. The shot making will rear its head at some point. Yeah, and if it happens sure. in Game Three, we have a totally normal series going into a totally normal high pressure home team's got to win pivotal Game Four. So let's just sort of TBD riding off the Suns. But uh, Denver looks awesome, and. You also have to credit Michael Malone because I think what's been made clear in the playoffs is they were saving their best stuff for the postseason. Because I remember going on having Adam Morris of DNVR Sports, my favorite Nuggets guy, on multiple times from September to February to March when the Nuggets were pooping the bed. <laughs> yeah, And every time we said, man, I think I kind of think they just need to play Aaron Gordon as backup center. and And man... You know, I like I would like more lineups where it's like Murray and at least one other starter when Jokic is on the bench and Aaron Gordon at center. So maybe three starters even. And they never did it. It was always a disaster. And in the playoffs, that's exactly what they've been doing. They are plus seven for the series with Jokic on the bench. I think they were plus 28 or something crazy against Minnesota. Those lineups are working. And Jeff Green, 
I look forward to the video 25 years from now where like a 58-year-old Jeff Green is in a pickup game somewhere and just monstrously dunks on somebody half his age because that guy is just cramming all over everybody. This is it's a big moment for the Suns in game four. We do not know Chris Paul's status as of right now. It's only a Tuesday morning. They got a couple of days, but uh, they well, traded it, a lot. You know what it is too? It, to, oh, I got to reinforce it. It's a huge moment for Denver. Like we talked, yes. we talked before about how the pass open for Boston, the path is wide open for Denver. Like Chris Paul is hurt. They've got a two Oh lead. They've got the two time defending MVP. We'll see what happens in a few hours tonight. They, this is their opportunity. The other side of the bracket is Warriors Lakers. That begins tonight. Um, what about Jeff the other Van, side of the bracket? Jeff Van Gundy and I previewed that uh, yesterday. You can listen to that um, if you'd like. The other thing I would like to mon- just so just put a little put a little memory bank. Game one of the series, Jokic was that our was that our contractually obligated mention of the other series? Game one of the series, Jokic seven post touches. That's very low for him, and yeah. I think they wanted to kind of feel out like Aiton has actually guarded him all right. How much help are they going to send? Maybe none. Let's just see how it works. Game two, 15 post-touches. That's high. And from the second or third possession of the game, it was clear, we're going to try and establish this. And there were a couple post-ups in the second half where you could see them begin to send some help toward Aiton and leave some shooters open. One, Jokic had Aaron Gordon right open under the rim and skipped it to Murray instead in the corner. If that's a thing that keeps happening, that's when Denver... That's when Denver has you where they want you. If you're if you start if you if you can't depend on Aiton to defend Jokic alone, and Aiton did fine, but Jokic just spun and spun and flipped his way into some baskets last night. That's just something to watch in what should be a fun, hopefully Chris Paul's healthy, a fun game three. But look, Chris Paul's 37, 38 years old, whatever he is, like this isn't a thing where you have a four year window. This is a two year window with this group, and year one is now perilous. Tim Bontemps. Where are you next? You're sitting out, you're in Boston for game two? Yeah, I'm on Sixers Celtics until it ends. I might might get to game five and if there is a game seven of the Knicks series, depending on if I can be home for a brief stretch uh in the middle. But um yeah, I'm with this one till the end. I'll be watching these other games and just waiting to see what happens with MVP tonight and, and when the potential MVP is back on the court. But like I said earlier, this series I think from a neutral perspective, this series needed a Philly win in game one to give it some real juice going forward. And now, like you said, even if Boston wins the next four games, you know, right now it's there's a lot of intrigue and drama and should be pretty interesting to see what happens the next couple of days. Well, you will see me somewhere around the way, whether it's Philly or Madison Square Garden in the next 10 I look days forward to it, buddy. So. Tim Bontemps, thank you, sir. Anytime. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. 